we have, if you've been with us, because we're trying to build something here, we've looked at various time frames. Last week, we looked at a rather short time frame from the crucifixion to the resurrection, but we also have pushed that back from prior to the crucifixion. We've looked at the time frame going back to David, back to Moses, back to Joseph, and last week we even pushed it back as far as it could go. We pushed it back to Adam himself, and that was necessary for us to get a grasp on, on making sense of all these other things that, that we see happening in the scriptures. And what we, what we saw last week is that we have inherited a big problem. Not a pandemic, but a panademic. We are all children of Adam. That's the pan means all. We're all from Adam, and that's why we're calling it a panademic. And what we got from Adam was a sin nature, and we got the propensity to death. It came upon the entire human race. We looked at that last week. So we have inherited a big problem. We have also been given a big promise, and this is critical to everything that we're discussing. As we looked at Genesis 3.15, it's a verse that we should all know. If you don't know it before this series, hopefully by the time we're done, it will kind of settle into your thinking that this is one of those verses in Scripture that you really need to grasp what it is about. When God said to, to the serpent, after he had deceived Adam and Eve, and now he was bringing a statement of a, of a judgment upon him, which is ultimately a wonderful big promise to us. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So God predicted that there was going to come this singular offspring of the woman who would be in direct conflict with the serpent. They, they would do battle with each other, if you will. And that battle would have significant consequences. And it's in that context that we're able to say that we've been redeemed by a big God. Yes, we've inherited a big problem, but we've been given a big promise. And that promise, as it is fulfilled, we understand we've been redeemed by a big God. Now, it occurred to me this week, have we ever thought about it in this way? That as you move through the scriptures, there are many head-to-head -head confrontations throughout sacred history where we see the dark kingdom coming into direct conflict with the kingdom of light. And it plays itself out in human history. So we can look at Genesis chapter 6. We can see Noah. And we think in terms of Noah, but that is introduced to us that the sons of God or did the demonic angelic realm, the sons of God went into the daughters of men. And that was a conflict that they would do that and they were trying to uh, invade the human race as God uh, uh, created the human race to be in his image. And so a direct conflict between two kingdoms. We come to the, we come to the Tower of Babel, a story that we know well where God winds up dispersing the people and confusing their languages. Well, that Babel it was, was what was, what was their sin? What was the issue? What was the big deal? They were looking to make a name for themselves. God said to spread out, fill the earth. And they said, you know what? Let's just stop right here. Let's build a tower to heaven and we'll make a name for ourselves. Well, that 
inclination is straight out of the pit of hell. When Satan himself said, I will be like the Most High God. He was exalting himself. And during the time of the Tower of Babel, they were buying into his deception. And from that, we get Babylon and what it will mean for the rest of the scriptures. Getting out of Egypt. We touched on this. We looked at this specifically. And you'll recall the blood on the doorposts is what protected them when the plague came through and God said, I'll strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, in Exodus 12, 12, and, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, I am the Lord. He's very clear, against all the gods of Egypt, the pagan gods, those who are born out of a dark kingdom, those who would worship one other than the one true God, Elijah, the prophets of Baal, another similar situation where, where they are just pagan gods that, uh, that have been brought to bear and brought into the lives of God's people. Daniel, recall he was, asked to, he was told to worship an image. He said no, wound up being thrown into the, into the, uh, uh, into the furnace. You've got, you've got the experience of him with the, with the uh, lion's den. He's got all these things. That, hey, he's holding, they're all holding true. Right? The lion's den for the one, the furnace for the three, and then it's like, hey, we're not giving in. We are not giving in to the king's demands. Well, they were all, those were demonic demands coming from the dark kingdom. And then when we look more specifically where we've been in the course of this past week, when we think about what took place on Good Friday, when Christ was crucified, you know, if you, read, if you read the Gospels, you'll find out that a couple of them make a specific note. They said that the religious leaders, they wanted to wait till after the Passover in order to take Christ. But then we find out that Satan entered into Judas. He was directly involved. And he pushed that thing so that it happened before Passover. And he forced their hands on something they did not want to do. He must have assumed, I can only guess, he assumed this was his most opportune time to make that strike against the seed of the woman. And where God had said, you will bruise his heel, he did. And we talked about that last week because the resurrected Christ showed the bruises of the cross, but he couldn't, it wasn't fatal because Christ raised from the dead. And that's the magnificent truth that is ours. Well, today we want to consider from resurrection as we look at all these time frames, we were looking at the resurrection last, last Sunday, and now we want to go all the way into the future, to the return. So a huge time frame, a huge uh, block of time. And I want to go there for a, specific, for a specific reason. In Revelation chapter 13, and, and the rest of our time will be spent in Revelation now. In Revelation chapter 13... As we look forward, we see the, now the, the groundwork laid for this fulfillment that he, the seed of the woman, shall bruise your head. Not, not the bruising of a heel, which was not fatal, but the bruising of the head, which means he's going to have complete dominion over him. He wins. And by the way, they don't play this to a stalemate. They don't play it to a draw. They don't say, well, let's just call it a tie game and, and, and we'll be friends. Absolutely not. Jesus wins, hands down. So, as we understand this, that now we're looking into the future, that would give us clearly to know that the world is moving towards the fulfillment of this promise. He's going to bruise your head, 
And that in the process, here's what John reveals to us as God revealed it to him. The world's going to come under incredible distress leading up to it. There's chapters upon chapters of incredible distress that are played out on the world scene. And John is given a prophetic vision of what to expect as it's been recorded in, Re in Revelation. And in verse, chapter 13, in verse 3, we see a beast rising out of the sea. Now, when you're thinking about the beast, just at least understand this much. This guy's aligned with Satan himself. He is with the dark kingdom. And also, I just got to say, there's no way we're going to look at everything that could be there. I encourage you, take the time to look at it for yourself. Here's what I want us to note in chapter 13, verse 3, as this beast comes on the scene now. I saw one of his heads, describing the beast, if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So in some fashion, this beast pulls off what I would call a fake, a fake resurrection. Remember how back in Moses' time, when, when Moses had uh, the staff that God gave him, he'd throw it on the ground and it would become a serpent. And the, uh, the sorcerers of Pharaoh were able to, to duplicate some of those things. Well, it appears to me here that as Christ won and, uh, over Satan's attempt to, to destroy him by the resurrection, now Satan here has his own false resurrection, that he appeared to be dead, he was not, and the people worship, oh man, this guy is all powerful, and he draws the worship of the people of the world, the beast. Now, does that seem unbelievable? To you, does it seem like, yeah, you know, you get over there, you get over there in the book of Revelation, and you got all this imagery, and it gets kind of, it gets kind of far-fetched as, as, as far as I'm concerned. I'd like to address that, if you'll allow me, for a few minutes. And I'd like to do so by taking us back to a number of places we've been through together, just in life, just examining people and what they are like, and I think you might agree with some observations that, I, that I've made. First of all, the first one to me, this just sealed it to me, my understanding, was the election of 2008, presidential election of 2008. If you will recall, that was Barack Obama and Joe Biden were on a ticket in contrast with John McCain and Sarah Palin. And John McCain was not all that effective as a candidate. We've got to, we've got to say that. But he was just kind of made to be out as kind of this bland person that didn't have a lot really uh, to say for himself or to move forward with. And, and uh, Sarah Palin, she was made out to be like this horrible person. I, I, I can't imagine that after the Me Too movement now that you could say about Sarah Palin what was said about her back then. Uh, so they were just made out to be terrible people. By his own admission after the election, Barack Obama described himself as a blank slate. There were people who were saying, what does he stand for? He's never telling us what he stands for. What are his policies? What is he going to be about? And he said he, he was able to run as a blank slate. People could fill in what they needed. Now, why did they fill in good things for him? Well, part of it was, you will recall, there, was a, there were economic problems at the time. People had problems. They were looking for somebody to resolve these problems. We, we need a problem solver. 
And on this blank slate, they could envision that he was that guy. So here's what I learned in 2008. Whoever controls the narrative controls the outcome. Whoever controls the narrative controls the outcome. That's why you get all, we're going to get blessed with all this political rancor now in the next few months. And they're all going to try and, and establish a narrative that you find appealing and that puts the other person down. And whoever controls that wins, plain and simple. 2016 came along. I was absolutely sure Hillary Clinton was going to be our next president. I said it the day that Barack Obama was first inaugurated. And everybody agreed with me, leading right up to the election. But somehow, come election night, things went different than anybody was expecting. I recall walking into our living room after we'd, I think it had been a board meeting that night, walking in through our, into our, into our uh, living room area where Lori had the TV on, TV on. She's watching the, the election returns. And she says, you want to watch this? This is kind of interesting. I said, absolutely not. I just really could not take thinking that, okay, I know what's going to happen here. Well, I didn't know what was going to happen. Hillary didn't win. But why? A lot happened immediately before that, that, that actual election. In that final month beforehand, when stuff like WikiLeaks was coming out and, and uh, 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 Assange is doing his thing, and then, and then there's you know, stuff where she's been investigated and she's fine. Well, maybe there's a question. And all the stuff began to swirl around her that nobody saw coming. Everybody thought she was just insulated from anything like this. But this stuff got into the news and it became part of the story, became part of the narrative. So the next thing that I learned through that, we have no clue what might happen. We really have no clue what could be coming down the pike at any time. Did you know this COVID thing was coming? I didn't know it was coming. <laughs> and now we bring it up to the time that we're in right now, in the middle of this. And what have we seen? We have seen this third principle I'd like to bring news. People will do crazy things in stressful situations. We, we joked about it the first night that we had one of these streaming things with the toilet paper. I've noticed toilet paper sitting on the shelves now. I also noticed we got about 50 packages in our own home. Well, not quite that many. But why is it sitting on the shelves? Because people have stocked up in their home for something that, you know what? It wasn't going to be a shortage. But somehow we all got stressed out and it's apparently there's going to be a shortage, so we're all out buying. Well, friends, people do crazy things in stressful situations. And as we look ahead to what the book of Revelation is telling us, we can conclude this. Crazy times are coming. And people are going to do crazy things. And those without understanding will follow the wrong narrative. Those without understanding will follow the wrong narrative. See, there's all sorts of distressing things that will lead up to that final confrontation between Christ and the serpent. They'll make this pandemic look like the common cold. And I want us to look a little bit at what is revealed for us. Now, will you please note this? Because those of you who are strict theologians, you're gonna, you're gonna, I'm going to frustrate you. 
I am not drawing an eschatological timeline. I'm not trying to draw an end times timeline. I just want to look at the scripture and let's draw some things directly from it. Okay, we can save the theology discussion for another time. Revelation chapter 16, as we're leading towards this final culmination where Christ is going to bruise or crush the head of the serpent. We read in Revelation 16, 19, preceded by a lot of craziness already, now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. So as we're approaching the end of chapter 16 in the book of Revelation, and I hope you'll go back and read these, we find out that Babylon is divided, identified as a city, is divided in three parts. Now, is it, is it a particular city that's specifically geographically divided out? Could be. But I think the next three chapters tell us the division is something uh, more significant, whether it's divided out geographically or not. Because when we get to Revelation 17, we see one division. When we get to Revelation 18, we're going to see another one. In Revelation 19, we see a third. And that's what I want us to consider. Revelation chapter 17, uh, beginning, I'm going to pick it up in verse 5. Long, long passages that are here. We're just going to zip in on a few verses. And on her forehead, a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And John has revealed to him this picture of this, referred to as a harlot who's riding on a beast. And this harlot, he describes for us that she's drunk with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And this abominations, and she's referenced with all uh, relative to, uh, re relative to um, blasphemies, that gives us this sense that she is the blasphemous religious system of the dark kingdom, and she's going to be judged and destroyed. But first of all, it's the power of the religious center that is Babylon. That's its first center. Remember, it's broken into three. Its religious system is destroyed. It's blasphemous religious system. Revelation 18. I just want to jump in, zero in on verses 9 to 11. We're going to get to this next section. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. And if you read the following verse, it lists all the things and all the economy that's not going to be happening. The godless economic system of the dark kingdom of Babylon is going to collapse. Now, we can understand that, can't we? We have seen an incredible growth within our economy for the last three years. And it has been crashed by the craziness of what we're experiencing right now. So that doesn't seem so far-fetched as to how economic systems can fall. So the religious system of Babylon is collapsed. The economic system of, uh, of Babylon is collapsed. We already read Revelation 19 and, and uh, 20. 
There we see how the political system of Babylon was defeated. When Christ came as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he bound the serpent, Satan himself, for a thousand years, released him for a final confrontation, and then totally he will defeat him. That's the political system of the dark kingdom. And it too is defeated. So if you're following me, when it said Babylon's divided into three parts at the end of chapter 16, I believe the first part is religious Babylon, the second part is economic Babylon, and the third part is political Babylon. Three power centers, all are under judgment, all are defeated. And leading up to them, before we get there, it's not like that just happens in a vacuum. There's incredible cataclysmic events leading up to that. And that's when people go crazy. And in light of that, the last verse that we're going to touch on, it's from the midst of all of this breaking down of Babylon and it being destroyed, it being judged. Revelation 18.4, there's a word given, not about Babylon, but to the people of God. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. A voice from heaven saying to the people of God, look, when things go crazy, don't get caught up in it. You need to separate yourself from this judgment that God is going to bring and do not participate in their in, in their religious system, in their political system, in their economic system. Separate yourself from it because it's going to come under judgment. You can, you can think of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Where Lot needed to get out of there because there's judgment coming. It's not safe and you stay there and judgment's going to fall on you. So friends, here's the deal. As this angel cries out, come out of her, my people. I think it speaks to us about right now that we need to be able to discern what is going on. We have to have some understanding. This virus is going to have an impact. The world will change because of this. Here's what I believe is going to happen. It's already happened. One, it got a little smaller because we're all experiencing this together. And it got a little more centralized. I want to just point something out to you that I just saw this today. And this is happening. While you and I, at least if you're with us on Saturday night, while you and I are here, this is going on. I'm describing something going on right now. And it began by discussing Andreas Pacelli, and he did some singing. Apparently, he was part of some, some record-setting event. It was historic. And it says he's going to be part of another historic event, Saturday, April 18th, joining an all-star lineup for the, now notice the title, One World Together at Home. It's a special that will be on TV, curated by Lady Gaga in partnership with, notice the title, Global Citizen, a group known for its dedication to eradicating poverty worldwide. Right now, that's happening. Do you see what's happening? Do, 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 do you see what I, what I mean by saying that the world got a little smaller? Is that they're, they're, they're projecting this concert around the world. It's going to be historic. 
all the people that they reach. And what are they doing with it? One world together at home. Promoted by a global citizen. Now let's go back to the principles that I mentioned, friends. Whoever controls the narrative controls the outcome. There's a narrative that is going to go with whatever that event is. There is a narrative that they are going to play out and that they are very clearly seeking to communicate. It may feel and seem harmless. But the world got a little smaller as we, as we together we will now revolve around that narrative. And my question will be, is their narrative accurate? Does their narrative align with what God has revealed? Or is their narrative perhaps a little bit contrary? So take that and understand that we have no clue what might happen, right? So what when the next global thing comes along and these people stand up again and now we're familiar with them? Oh, we know them. We like them. They play nice music. And they speak their narrative again. What authority do they have behind their narrative? How do we know it's true? How do we know it squares with Scripture? And when we understand people will do crazy things in stressful situations, it's easy to believe that they will gather millions of followers to their narrative. Here's why I want to speak to you tonight, friends. Just as in Revelation 18.4, the angel said, Come out of her, my people. Encouraging the people to have clarity in what is going on. I would like to encourage us to be circumspect in what enters and defines our thinking at this time. As we're in the craziness, we need to be clear about what it is we are receiving and what is defining our thinking. This time... And the next time, because there will be a next time. Now, did anything strike you with what I read? Boy, it jumped out at me. One world together at home. That's why I say, you know, we're getting a little more centralized, aren't we? Global citizen. Huh. Talk about centralized government. Talk about a one world government that scripture references. A group known for its dedication to eradicating poverty worldwide. Friends, I'm not for poverty. I want to help the poor. I believe we're called to help the poor. We, we want to continue to sustain this, this garage sale that happens in this town here. One of the main reasons being is because we know it ministers to the poor. We have watched the poor come in here. And they are gaining from the things that we have left over. We love to do that. I am not speaking anything against the poor like we should ignore them. That would, don't go there. But a group known for its dedication to eradicating poverty worldwide. That statement scares me. Because Jesus said clearly, the poor you will have with you always. This problem is not going to be solved 
And as long as the problem sits there, this group with their narrative will always have a reason to make their narrative known around the world. Who's going to say anything that, well, we shouldn't help the poor? That, that's not going to go. We all think we should. And it gives them, gives them a foundation to speak their narrative. So we need to be circumspect in what enters and defines our thinking at this time. So how can we be careful that we're not getting caught up in this? Real simply, friends, let the Word of God inform your thinking. Let the Word of God inform your thinking. This past couple weeks, I, I, I was encouraged. I was encouraged. Jess sent me, uh, sent me an email, and I, 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 don't, I don't do a lot of theological discussing in text messages and emails. It's too complicated. It's too hard to do. So I had to give her a very truncated response. But you know what her concern was? Jess's concern was, well, if we have to take a vaccine for the COVID in order to, you know, to be cured of it, is it possible that somehow that's a chip and it'll become a chip and it'll be the mark of the beast? That's a very thoughtful question. Steve, a couple weeks back, calls me and he said, I know, I'm just thinking, all right? I'm just thinking about this. He says, is it possible that this, that this virus we're seeing, is this the beginning of birth pangs of the end times, which Jesus spoke about? I can I tell you why I was encouraged about both of them? Because both of them were looking at their Bible, looking at the world and saying, is there some way I, I need to understand so that this informs that? That's exciting. And that's what we need to do. Because they're not going to get caught off guard if their Bible is informing their perspective of the craziness around them. And that's what we need to do, friends. If we're going to be circumspect, we need to be in the Word. Maybe now is the time to consider, do I need to get back into Bible memory, Scripture memory? Do I need to, to, to maybe take up the topic of theology or take a particular book and dig into it, but just use this time to say, I am going to get back to reading my Bible on a regular basis. Or maybe we never have, and it's time to start because you're never done studying Scripture. I promise you'll never know it all. But we need to let the Word inform us, not the narrative of whoever decides They've got a message to tell. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is clear. Thank you that your word is powerful. Thank you that your word reveals Jesus Christ, who is Lord over all, who will win in the end, and that we can trust him completely and yield our lives, our, ourselves, our journeys to him every day. And so, Father, I, I pray that by the power of your word, you will clarify our thinking, prevent us from being caught up in, in the craziness of the world that we might come out of her and we might instead just be walking in the peace and the joy of Jesus Christ in our relationship with him. We ask it all in his name. Amen.